Violence, adult language, nudity, and adult content. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. It's 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, and thank you for joining us for the 130th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight, is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. The Rock and Roll Shrink. Whoa! That is not the, the wave that I wanted. Yeah, so Got a little sneaky walking dead action trying to stick its way in there. Sorry about that. That's a different show. Okay. Um... We will be taking calls from our listeners, hopefully without any other weird waves, all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. And you can follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers. This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. And a partridge and a pear tree. And now, a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc.
right. As always, thank you very much for that. And if you don't mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist and its relevance to tonight's topic. So that was uh, an oldie but a goodie. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was from uh, the phrase 2006 record uh, and the single, the cut that I just played is the title of the record, which is How to Save a Life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, also, I want to let you guys know, as Dr. Mathis is alluding, tonight's topic is significantly, potentially more upsetting than most others. So I wanted to give you all a heads up, content warning. And we ask you guys to know your own limitations regarding listening to the following material. Please note, if you experience suicidal thoughts or have lost someone to suicide, the following could be potentially triggering. And you can contact a crisis text line by texting the word START to 741741. All right, so as Dr. Mathis mentions, and you guys have been warned, tonight's episode is entitled Everybody Hurts, Suicide Survivors, and with a nod to REM, of course, and we will discuss that topic in a moment. Before we begin our topic discussion, though, let's go first to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. So speaking of the aforementioned song, um, a lot of people, I think, think that had to do with like romantic type stuff, but that is actually not true. So back in the day, uh, the phrase lead singer, he just uh, resigned from the band in May of this year, by the way, for those who didn't hear that, uh, Isaac Slade. So the uh, keyboard player and lead singer Isaac Slade uh, who wrote the song, uh, was influenced actually by experience he had as a camp mentor for troubled teens. Now, one of the, um, the group homes in Denver, which is where the band's from, Colorado, uh, asked him, uh, the, the guy that runs the, uh, the show, it's called a place called Shelterwood, and the uh, president of the corporation happened to know both uh, Isaac and Joe King, who is uh, the phrase uh, guitar player and second vocalist, he said, hey guys, would you mind volunteering at this uh, kind of weekend retreat thing for this camp for troubled teenagers, and we think you guys would be really good for this, blah, blah, blah. So the kid that um, Isaac was paired up with was a 17-year-old male who had a plethora of issues uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that included drugs, alcohol, and uh, self-mutilation, among other things. And one of the frustrations that he had was realizing just kind of how damaged the kid was and some of the kid's uh, issues, according to uh, Isaac, uh, kind of reminded him of some of his own past history and this kind of thing. And, you know, in specific, he said, you know, the cost of this kid's lifestyle and the choices he had made uh, kind of related to some of the poor choices I'd made in my own life and all the relationships that I damaged or threatened because of that. And it was sort of inspiring for me to hear that, but at the same time really sad. Uh, he said it was just really amazing that uh, the group home is a place where teens get sent who are in all kinds of trouble and the parents basically uh, don't know how to handle them and they don't want them to go to jail, so they send them 
to this place as kind of an alternative. And uh, he said this, you know, he was up with his kid talking, and the kid was also a musician just like he was. And, you know, he said it was just really sad because the friend, the, the boy's friends and family were coming around him saying, hey, just quit taking drugs and stop cutting yourself or we're going to stop talking to you again and da-da-da-da-da. So instead of giving him support and being a friend to him, and, you know, just kind of listening to him and let him whatever, they basically slammed him. And, he, of course, the end result is he killed himself. And uh, Isaac said it really impacted him a lot. And he just, you know, the song comes out of that experience of him feeling frustrated and not knowing what to do because, I mean, he's not a trained counselor. And, you know, it was just really, really sad seeing all this crap that this... Uh, kid had gone through and you know arguably a lot of it self-induced but uh sort of the goes to a place and tries to get help and support and all he gets is castigation and uh, that was that was the impetus for the song that he wrote uh for the band and that most of you know probably got a lot of airplane it was like a big hit for them but it comes really out of uh, real life situations so i don't know if the audience knew that or not I don't know if they did either. I know that I did not. And uh, in just a little while, I had a short list of some songs that are related to this topic. And that actually is one of them. And I hadn't heard about it until I found it on a list earlier today. I, I missed it when it first came out. Well, I did too. And the only reason I know the song is because... When I uh, play with my buddies, uh, the other psych buddies, uh, in a uh, <clears throat> sort of a jam band we call Shrink Rap, we cover the hits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was one of the songs that another member brought in and said, hey, this is, you know, everybody in the band is a mental health professional. So, it, you know, it's not surprising that somebody else would hear this and go, hey, this is a good song for us to cover and we can do that. We have, a, you know, the... Uh, and the configuration to play this song. I was one of the uh, people as a keyboard player, and you know, uh, Isaac was a keyboard player. So you know, it was like, okay. And so they brought the song in, and I went, oh, that's kind of a cool song. Who's that? You know, no, I'd never heard of it. And I was just like, wow, well, that's kind of cool. So as, as this topic got brought up, I, it sort of jogged my memory of the song that we play, and I went, oh, yeah. So that's how I got it. I, I didn't know it either. Well, that's perfect. So we're going to mention that again in just a moment because definitely there are a lot of songs out there that are about this sort of topic. Um, but for the moment, thank you very much for that. And sure. And we'll be taking calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. Please feel free to give us a call. Again, the number is 914-338-0314. So tonight's topic, episode 130, Everybody Hurts, Suicide Survivors. Although she wasn't a rock star, never mind a classic rock star, which is usually our focus genre, um, Naomi Judd was just the latest well-known musician in recent weeks to have committed suicide. In light of her recent death, we thought we might discuss the plight of those close friends and family who are left behind when somebody takes their own life. Tonight's topic deals with survivors of suicide, meaning those who are left behind to grieve. And to avoid any confusion, we don't mean people who attempted suicide and failed. We'll talk about that later. Our show began back in the summer of 2016 
with our first show on musicians and suicide. Since then, we've discussed several related topics on suicide, depression, death, grieving, and similar notions. Here are some of our key episodes that are related. Uh, Episode 1, Musicians and Suicide, that was July 2016. Episode 21 and 22, Suicide and Depression Follow-Up, Parts 1 and 2, that was in May of 2017. Uh, Episode 45, And to Those They Leave Behind, which was in May of 2018, and that was specifically about vets and PTSD and depression and suicide. Episode 49, Is There Anybody Out There?, That was July of 2018, and it was about the failings of our societal suicide support system, which is loosely related to parts of tonight. Uh, Episode 68, Wish You Were Here, which is about grief, loss, mourning, and closure, uh, May of 2019. I'm sensing an interesting pattern. Kind of in May, we like to talk about death, and that really isn't, uh, indicative of anything is especially not the fact that we have Memorial Day coming up, not related, promised. Um, episode 81, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Holiday Losses, uh, December 2019. Episode 82, Bite the Hand That Feeds, it's about the National Suicide Hotline, uh, December 2019 also. 83, Two Minutes to Midnight, Terror Management Theory, which is included because that uh, philosophy or way of looking at things can actually enter people into suicidal ideations if they're triggered. Uh, that was January 2020. Episode 86, which I put in, oh, it's parts one and two. Uh, flirting with disaster or coping under crisis. That was in April of 2020. Episode 87, help, no one listens. And that was about helpfulness that isn't very helpful. And that was in May of 2020. We've covered myriad angles on death and dying, suicide, depression, grieving, supporting others through it, and related topics. Tonight, we specifically want to focus on coping mechanisms and support for those who remain behind, for the, from those who have committed suicide. Different kinds of losses and grieving can vary somewhat, and there are aspects that are specific to losing someone to suicide. So tonight we will discuss a quick overview of suicide survivors and a little bit about basic grief. And then two, we want to talk about what is different about grieving someone who committed suicide specifically. Number three, common misunderstandings about grief, especially this type of grief. And last, conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. And before we get started, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything specific you want to bring up before we get going. No, I'm good. Thank you. All righty. So real quick, before we begin, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I wanted to share with you guys the name of a few songs that were written specifically about losing someone to suicide. We all know music can be powerful and emotional, and our listeners will have to decide if they want to listen to these songs or not. Uh, Please note, not all of them are rock or classic rock. Some of them are. Uh, If you missed the list of titles, message our Facebook page, and I can get you the list later. Okay. Uh, First off, obviously, as we quoted, Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Second one is Fix You by Coldplay. How to Save a Life by The Fray, Leave Out All the Rest by Linkin Park, 
Life is Beautiful by 6 a.m. Looking for an Answer by Mike Shinoda of Lincoln Park, and that was written for Chester. Uh, Lullaby by Billy Joel. Lullaby Do Not Laugh by Nickelback. It's actually a a good song for this. Uh, One More Light by Lincoln Park. Speeding Cars by Imogen Heap. This Song Saved My Life by Simple Plan. When I'm Gone by Eminem. Where Rainbows Never Die by The Steel Drivers. And Whiskey Lullaby by Alison Krauss and Brad Paisley. Yes, it's country, but it's still a very powerful song about a couple that commits a double suicide. You know, first one, then the other. All right. So let's I go ahead and get... I have a couple more for you. Oh, go <laughs> ahead. Yeah, let's add to the list. No, by all means. Um, Don't Close Your Eyes by Kicks. Ooh. And The Pass by Rush. I'm actually going to just take a couple of seconds and add these to the list. Don't close your eyes. And that's by Kix. Yeah, K, I think it's K-I-X-X. And then yeah, uh, The Past by Rush. Okay. And come on. There we go. My cursor's being naughty. Past by Rush. And that that way I can hang on to the list. If we get anybody messaging the Facebook page later who would like to get a copy of the list, then we can include those with it. Definitely. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, First, an overview of suicide survivors and a little bit about grief. Um, This is sort of short and sweet. We've talked about grief a lot of times, so I'm not going to do like the whole battery here. A suicide survivor specifically as someone who grieves the loss of someone else that died by suicide. Now, someone who survives an attempt at suicide is usually called, quote, an attempt survivor. I just want you guys not to be confused by the terminology we use tonight because it took me a hot minute to figure it out, too, when I first saw it. All right, so here are a few guidelines about grief in general. Um, And this kind of has to do with the survivors, and also people are helping the survivors. Um, First, accept the intensity of the grief. Grief following a suicide is always complex. Survivors don't get over it. That's not a thing. Avoid simplistic explanations and cliches. Big time. Oh, my God. so, So many memes and trite comments and t-shirt wisdom (laughs) that comes out, please stop doing that. That isn't helpful. Uh, Related, avoid toxic positivity. You know, we don't need, oh, they're always with you. You may feel that way, but unless you know how the person feels, don't wave that stuff around and try to comfort them because some people find it upsetting. Um, Don't avoid speaking about the person who took their life. Uh, Don't shame the survivor for intense or long-term grieving. Um, These kinds of deaths and the survivors of them are always traumatic. This is not like, oh, my mom was 90 years old and she passed away. It's unfortunate. People do grieve, but it's not the same as when somebody takes their life. And also continue to check in for a long time after any funeral or memorial. There are people who are like, Oh, if you need anything, I'll be there for you. And then the memorial happens, and then they ghost you. 
Um, this is not helpful. And if you're doing it because you think the person should be over it, you're part of the problem. And with that, I'm going to turn to Dr. Mathis and see if there's anything else you'd like to add at this time. I'm good, thanks. Okay. Next part, which is a little bit more of the meat and potatoes of why we're here. So what is different about grieving someone who committed suicide? Glad you asked. (laughs) Uh, There are many common elements to most kinds of grief situations. Some aspects are received differently than others, such as whether the loss was expected, whether it was traumatic or unusual in some way, and so on, or how attached survivors were to who or what was lost, um, how supported the survivors feel that they are, et cetera. You know, are everybody abandoned them or are people there to help them through it? Survivors of suicide do not typically have any warning of their loss. The possible exception is if the person who did it had habitual suicidal ideations. But even then, it can still be a horrible shock when it actually works. Uh, They do not sit and plan final business and legal matters with the person as one would a parent or a sick partner. They feel guilty. They feel guilt and responsibility for what happened, which we'll specifically discuss further down in a few minutes. Uh, They can go through a lot of shock, disbelief, and denial, anger, resentment, feeling rejected. And then there is an article on this that I'm quoting called Help a Survivor Heal. And historian Arnold Toynbee, T-O-Y-N-B-E-E, once wrote, There are always two parties to a death, the person who dies and the survivors who are bereaved. Unfortunately, Many survivors of suicide suffer alone and in silence. The silence that surrounds them often complicates the healing that comes from being encouraged to mourn. Because of the social stigma surrounding suicide, survivors feel the pain of the loss, yet may not know how or where or if they should even express it. Yet the only way to heal is to mourn. Just like other bereaved persons grieving the loss of someone loved, Suicide survivors need to talk, to cry, sometimes just scream in order to heal. As a result of fear and misunderstanding, survivors of suicide deaths are often left with a feeling of abandonment at a time when they desperately need unconditional support and understanding. Without a doubt, suicide survivors suffer in a variety of ways. One, because they need to mourn the loss of someone who's died. Two, because they've experienced a sudden, typically unexpected traumatic death. And three, because they're often shunned by a society unwilling to enter into the pain of their grief. And with this, I'm going to pause and check in with you again, Dr. Mathis. I'm good. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. So, number three, common misunderstandings about grief, especially this type. So one of the things that people often experience is guilt. Survivors often feel like they just weren't smart enough to know what to do or say to have prevented it. They may wonder if the person just did not care about them enough to stay in the world. They somehow feel if they had only done some magic thing, it would have stopped the loss. Often at funerals, memorials, and in the obituaries, people think, 
You know, why can't we treat people like they're eulogies now? They say lovely things at the events or in the obituary or social media, and then they feel badly they did not say them when the person was here to hear them. But would saying them have been enough? This is not necessarily true, but it is something that survivors get wrapped up in, just so you guys understand what I'm bringing up here. Another one is shame or self-consciousness or fear of the awkward. As it is in general when grieving, our society is horribly ham-fisted in handling grief. It is usually the worst when the grief is from suicide, probably followed by losing a child, than a spouse or a partner. These three losses bring out the most toxic positivity and compulsion to say something without thinking it through first. Suicide losses tend to be the most awkward, though, because people truly have no idea what is comforting at a time like that unless one has the empathy of personal experience with it. Another thing that comes up is something that there's a little phrase for it and I'll try to explain what the phrase means. So the phrase is l'appel du vide, which is French for call of the void. And it's kind of a mental place that some people go. The compelling moments around suicidal ideation can differ for many people, but typically they contain some combination of depression, despair or lack of hope or options, and a bit of impulse control issues all converging at the same time. And l'appel du vide, the call of the void, kind of enters into the impulse control. It's the tiny little moments where you get so caught up in something forbidden, outrageous, a little dangerous, like you're standing at the edge of a cliff and you realize that you're kind of compelled to see what would happen if I just put my foot out a little bit. You know, your ass is going to fall over the cliff and kill yourself. Uh, this is a psychological phenomenon. I don't remember that we've done a show about it, but we've talked about it before. And that is a little bit of the impulse control problem around suicidal ideation. You kind of get that wondering where you cross over this line that you really shouldn't be stepping on. And the last part is shaming community support. This is something that our culture does. Our culture rewards not burdening others with asking for help or admitting need. You know, pull yourself away by your bootstraps, blah, blah, blah. Don't talk about it. We have toxic masculinity. And, and we say this not because men are evil or something, but masculinity, when it's going wrong in our culture, encourages this, whereas the corresponding femininity encouragement does not get after people for asking for help. It's not the same on both sides. Uh, you also see this in military and law enforcement culture and in ableist culture when people really don't understand what it's like for people who have a disability or inability to do stuff. So basically in our culture, we don't like to hear your problems. We don't like to know that you need things. We don't like to know that you need anything at all or you're feeling bad about it or whatever, just get over it like magic. And these are all misunderstandings about how grief works. Grief is just like having a physical disability 
you know, I'm not going to get up and get out of that wheelchair. My foot's not going to grow back. My brain tumor is not going to magically disappear. And it's the same with grief. And with that, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything else that you would like to add. We're spinning through this really fast. I'm kind of shocked. <laughs> but go ahead. Well, you know, we go over sometimes, so it wouldn't kill us to not go over this time. Yeah, <laughs> you know? You know, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, what I will say is um, there's certain, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's certain areas of the country that are more, um, this is more of a hush-hush topic, and it's certainly in more conservative areas and overly religious uh, areas. And I don't mean to say that spirituality isn't a good thing and that people who are genuinely religious isn't a good thing, but there are some religious cult uh, groups, excuse me, I can't get this out, communities and groups that really frown upon suicide and you know being a member of the the greek community i can tell you that the greek orthodox church is not very happy with suicide people and and many of the old school uh folks will refuse to bury you in hallowed ground uh and so that adds another burden to the family of somebody who you know committed suicide and yeah. you know I, you know and i tell most people you know, when somebody is in that state of mind where they are at the place where they're just, and you know, and I'm going to take people who are in a chronic pain and chronic illness, and they say, hey, you know, you got three months or whatever, and you go, you know what, I'm not going through this crap because I consider that more rational suicide. But people who, you know, the more traditional idea that people have of folks who kill themselves because they're mourning a loss or upset about, you know, the stock market crashing or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I feel like those folks, at just just for a brief shining moment, are not really in their right mind. Their chemistry has altered in their brain to the point where they're not really thinking clearly. And I don't want to say they're "quote unquote" insane or crazy or whatever, but they're just not. You know, uh, them boys and girls ain't right in the vernacular of the south. <laughs> and uh, it's really hard for me as a very spiritual person to think that any higher power, however you see that thing or things or being or whatever would be as petty as we are as humans to hold pain and hurt against somebody who does something uh, in the spur of the moment and maybe doesn't live to regret it. I, I, I have a hard time reconciling that and frankly don't believe it. And I really think that when folks do that to each other, they just add insult to injury. And, you know, again, you're right about the law enforcement culture. I mean, my father, as you may or may not know, my father was uh, chief highway commissioner in South Carolina for several years. And I saw a lot of, uh, you know, knew a lot of folks who were on the highway department and officers and, you know, uh, SWAT team people and all that kind of stuff. And then one of the buddies I went to school with uh, ended up being, you know, sheriff of Sumter County. And, <laughs> you know, and since I've come to Atlanta and since um, my friend, as, as I often refer to him, Mr. Happy, even though I'm not the one that gave him that nickname, uh, has really gotten into, <laughs> yeah, firearms and shooting, not because he wants to go out and blow a bunch of people away, but he just, you know, he's kind of like me with guitars. He's gotten really fascinated with guns and how they operate and the history of guns and that kind of thing. And a lot of that has come out of him taking uh, shooting lessons so that he knows how to properly operate firearms, which is, you know, woohoo for him. I wish more people did that. And the person he 
he you know got a lot of coaching from was uh, is one of the sheriffs of Cherokee County and he's become buddies with him and yada 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 so I've gotten to talk a lot with him and met some of the SWAT team folks and it's real interesting that when they find out what I do for a living I get this sort of like oh look at the time gotta go <laughs> you know <laughs> look from wow. them until I start to mention well because you know anybody sees a shrink there's their head examined right but um, <laughs> particularly if you're a military or, you know, law enforcement type yeah. person, uh, they, they're like, oh, what is he doing here? Uh, and so what I've learned over the years that is if I say, well, you know, I do this and I'm, I'm board certified in PTSD. And, you know, my dad was former highway commissioner of South Carolina. So I've met with and talked to a lot of police folks and EMTs and, you know, highway patrol folks. And then it's like, oh, he kind of gets it. He's not really one of us, but he kind of is. Okay, he might be all right. And it's just interesting to see the change in their behavior. And then when they start talking about, you know, because suicide is very high in this in this population. Yeah. You know, uh, EMT folks and, and SWAT team people and bombers. But I mean, those folks have a very high uh, substance abuse uh, stuff just to, you know, block out the PTSD stuff. And a lot of them uh, commit suicide because of the, they're under a lot of stress. I mean, I I could not imagine doing their job. I really, really don't. And, you know, it's, so yeah, it, when they think I'm one of them, it's okay. It's more okay to talk about it. And it just, I found it really, really interesting. And the military is the same way. You know, they, I mean, what the hell? They don't even want to send people with PTSD for therapy. They just want to drug them out. And I'm not slamming anybody, but I mean, I, that comes from several people working in the VA system. And I saw it while I was in the VA where I did my internship. So, you know, they just want the problem to go away. It's like shameful. And I'm thinking, no, it's humans reacting to things that they are not supposed to see or be part of. And that's also true for people who walk in and have to do the cleanup job after somebody kills themselves. I mean, that's, you know, tough and walking up to the to the door of the family and going, yeah, we found your kid in a cornfield. Oh, right. And that actually happened to an ex-patient of mine. Oh, man. When I was in Ohio. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to say, it, I mean, I knew it was coming. And I said to the family, you know, you, you got to watch this guy because I don't I'm kind of, you know, I know he's full of sheep dip and likes to pull a bunch of stuff. But I, I got a funky feeling about this guy. And he dropped out of counseling and decided he didn't want to deal with me and blah, 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 blah. And about six months later, they found him at the cornfield. Jeez. Literally. Yeah, now, yeah. to the family's uh, benefit and to their credit, when the when another one of the assemblies started talking about stuff, they went, nope, you're seeing Mathis. <laughs> came knocking on my door and... Uh, you know, the parents were like, you know, we should have listened to you and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, yeah, but you know what? Shoulda, woulda, coulda, and we all make mistakes and stop beating the crap out of yourself because, you know, none of yeah. us are God. We all make mistakes. We all do less than, you know, we should do sometimes. And I'm, no, I'm not, you know, immune from that either. So stop beating the crap out of yourself. You didn't cause it. You know, he made a conscious decision to do a dumb thing, and he probably wasn't all there at the time he did it. So, you know, cut yourself and him a little break. But uh, it's it's just not good, you know. And so I tell people, if you have a little empathy for folks, and if you know somebody who is that, you know, try to get them some help and talk to them. Don't, don't be one of those folks that regrets doing or not doing something, and don't say mean and stupid things. 
that's not helpful either. Yeah. No, that that's definitely a part of the problem that people feel an obligation to that stuff. And it's like, you know, you can't control another human being, but so much. And I mean, hell, if I could do that, I'd be making a zillion dollars. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously. But, you know, I mean, I tell everybody that. People don't stop and think about what it means when they make these comments. It's like, so, you know, you're going to be at their side 24-7 and you're going to always be able to say things and talk them down. And some people's brain chemistry does shit that they can't stop, you know. Right, and, and a lot of folks do it under the influence. I mean, I suspect that this young, right, I suspect, you know, 63% of homicides are done under the influence, and I suspect that's not unlike the, the rate for suicide either. And I, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if this young man that uh, the Frey folks were singing about was, I mean, because they, you know, said he was a drug user and, you know, could, you know had a hard time putting easy drugs and, you know, doing stuff, you know, harmful stuff, which tells me we probably had some borderline stuff going on. And because oh, yeah. guys can be borderline too, and uh, you know, it's just it's really sad. And and I'm sure that in in all likelihood, I'm not sure in all likelihood, he could have well been under the influence of substances at the time that he did the action. You know, yeah. uh, that's not uncommon for folks, well, which I mean, means they're that, really not in their right mind. Yeah, there, there's that impulse control again. You know, if you. Yep. You smoke up a little, or you have a couple drinks, and then all of a sudden that thing you knew you really shouldn't be doing starts to look a little too yes, compelling ma'am. for your own good. So there's that yes, lack of duvet. Yes, all ma'am. Right. So, okay. So with this next, let's talk about conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. So, in the course of looking stuff up to do this episode, I talked to a few listeners who have either lost somebody or felt suicidal, obviously didn't commit suicide. They wouldn't be talking to me, duh, um, to get some feedback on how our current culture and support system, both social and medical slash professional, could improve support. Um, one person in particular that I talked to um, who was actually signing up for a program in Virginia that is exactly like this, is we apparently have a peer advocacy program. And so this, when this person was signing up, they said, uh, I asked what a peer advocacy coaching program could do. Well, this is me talking to them. And that traditional professionals could not or not as well or haven't been doing. And they said to me, there's a level of inherent trust and understanding that comes with lived experience. And remember, peer advocacy, these would be people who either have lost somebody or have been suicidal in this way and just didn't go through with it or not successfully in some cases. So people do feel a certain amount of trust when they're talking to somebody who's actually been there as opposed to a professional who has training and maybe has some good empathy, but to them it's not the same, and some people really are hung up on that. You know, they they prefer it. Um, Whereas someone may be hesitant to reach out to a medical professional, they might be more open to speaking with a peer advocate who can then refer them to the appropriate professional. It isn't therapy. It isn't medical advice because these are not medical staff. 
uh, isn't even really advice at all except, you know, layperson's advice. It's literally advocacy. As a peer recovery specialist, which is what they are training to do, I can offer tips on how to remember to take your meds, keep your meds organized, retrain your brain to think critically, or read a novel after having multiple ECT treatments, which some people go through, or help brainstorm ways to tackle various symptoms of your illness. And it comes from a place of authenticity because I've been there, I get it, and I could be a sounding board while simultaneously knowing when it's time to refer to medical staff. So, you know, if you guys are in an area that doesn't have any kind of peer counseling program, then you need this kind of help or need somebody close to you might need this kind of help, you know, start checking with mental health professionals in your area or social work, something, and see if you can get a peer group going because that is a form of help that is not plentiful and is different than going to a mental health professional which sometimes people won't do, but they'll talk to somebody who's been through it. Another good resource, and if this is a topic that's near and dear to you, uh, grab a pen. Uh, there's a website called Survivors of Suicide Loss, and the website is www.soslsd.org. And they have a lot of resources for survivors. There is not enough empathy or listening for, from professionals in all walks of medicine, but mental health staff are the worst. And Dr. Mathis, you'd probably be one of the first to say so. That's why you get aggravated. Yeah, it was really reports. interesting because yeah. I, I didn't think about it at the time, but yesterday I attended a seminar on working with suicide folks. <laughs> so this is like oh. kind of do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And that was kind of the that was kind of the whole, you know, bottom line of the seminar is, you know, we kind of suck at this, and here's some things that we've done that are not very helpful. And you know, in my research, I found these are more helpful. I'm trying to say that to folks, and they don't want to seem to listen. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know that story very well, but yeah, we we don't do a very good job. Some some of us do a fabulous job, and some of us not so much. And yeah. it's the same with everybody. And I said that to some folks tonight I was working with. You know, you've got to find people that you click with. And whenever that energy is that you click with, that sense of this person gets me, then that's the person for you. And I don't care how many things they have after their name. It's really about, I mean, once you get to competency, it's all about the person therapist match, in my humble opinion. And so if you find somebody, I don't care how qualified they are. If they don't work with you, find somebody who will. Some, find somebody you click with and don't just, you know, take the first body that comes along. And, and, you know, as you know, and we joke about it a lot, I mean, I've got more letters after my name than any 10 clinicians put together. That doesn't mean I'm the right therapist for you. Find somebody who works for you. I, I don't emphasize that enough. That chemistry is so important, particularly when you're talking about this kind of thing. Yes, no, I, I absolutely agree. You, you know the hellscape that I went through trying to deal with my own issues and just finding a clinician I could talk to who didn't spend six months going, hi, I'm Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You know, I, I <laughs> spent all these That's weeks and weeks giving them history. And I'm like, you know, I could write this down and you could read it in half an hour and then be prepared to talk to me. 
but they yeah. they had nothing to say of use. I'm like, I did that already, did that already, did that already. That totally didn't work, so I don't know why we're doing it again. And I told you that on my intake form. You know, these are yeah, mistakes that, that, that should not be happening. And especially when you're dealing with something like suicide, when the wrong answer can spiral somebody so quick, it's so delicate of, of all of the pathologies. This is one of yep. the most tenuous. And yep, yep. a flip comment like that, can you can lose somebody doing that shit? Yes, and ma'am. This, this is why it's so critical. So, um, you know, this is why I bring this up. There needs to be empathy and listening, and you know, whatever word you want to use for the opposite of gaslighting. You do not go to somebody <laughs> who tells you you're completely full of shit and you don't know what you're talking about because, unless you're like clinically determined to be not in your right mind and not able to have a cogent conversation. You know what you're talking about. You know your body. You know your brain most of the time. And you know enough to be in there asking for help. And the last thing you need is somebody to tell you you're an idiot for showing up. So, you yeah. know, we we want to support survivors. You know, don't treat people that are in that La Pelle du Vide like they don't know what they're doing because all it takes is one foot off a cliff. And isn't yeah, that fascinating? Literally. And wow, that's a long way down. <laughs> so yeah, so do not do that. Um, I've, I've found that we've talked about it on this show several times that that behavior is missing from lots of walks of life medically. You know, mm-hmm. not just mental health professionals, but so many physical. It's everywhere. Yes. You know, I I have yeah. PTSD that's based in medical events, not from the military. So ordinary medical events terrify me because that's what I was doing when a major emergency blew up and I was, they're trying to save my life. And so when I come in and I tell you, yeah, doing that simple test that makes my heart race is going to freak me the fuck out. No, I'm not kidding. Don't make a face and don't tell me I don't want don't downplay it. Same thing with mental health professionals, but like all professionals, I'm seeing too much of this this dismissive attitude. I actually had a a physical health professional tell me at one point, uh, this person put wrong things on my diagnosis and ruined my sleep study for years because of what they put. I had to have it rescinded. And in the meantime of them not being asked to treat my sleep study, put stuff on my uh, papers and was arguing with me and had the nerve to say, well, I'm the one who has the doctorate. And I'm like, you actually don't have any fucking idea what degrees I have. You have no idea. It's not on my form. You know, I turned and said to him, you know, um, what I do have is I have 50 years of being Casey. And so I'm an expert on that, whereas you're not. I've known you for four weeks. And if you looked at my case file, you would know I don't just say things flippantly. I give it a lot of thought. And I didn't come here for that treatment anyway. And so, yeah, that was a giant mistake and he's an extreme example but nevertheless you know this is way too common i i've had more health professionals of the mind and of the body to be flipped like that in some way than i have ones to go oh i take you seriously let me help you and that should not be our health system should not be like that so there's a place that we can improve is knock it off with the gaslighting there are not that many fakers out there. You guys watch too many goddamn movies. That's all there is to that. <laughs> and um, yeah. the other 
important thing that I found is in November, there is an International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. Uh, so the history behind this is in 1999, Senator Harry Reid, who lost his father to suicide, introduced a resolution in the Senate which led to the creation of International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. It's also known as Survivor Day, and it was designated by Congress on as a day on which those affected by suicide can join together for healing and support. It was determined that it would fall on whatever Saturday is right before American Thanksgiving. Um, and they picked that because the holidays are often a very difficult time for suicide loss survivors. I mean, anybody who's truth. grieving has a tougher time on the holidays, and we've done many, many shows on this, but those who lost them to suicide have added layers of grieving that go on. So they thought that was a relevant time to hold it. So there's a whole day for this, and hopefully support things will make themselves known when that happens. Um, so in summary... We kind of hope that our listeners now better understand how to cope with the loss of someone by suicide. It is never an easy or simple process. And you guys may know that. You know, Maybe I'm saying this for the people surrounding you, quote, supporting you, and kind of looking at their watch going, are you, are you over it yet? You know, stop it. Please stop it, and especially with people that lost by suicide. It's, it's like losing a child or a spouse. You never really get over it. And things have just changed. This is permanent. Um, we hope our discussions here tonight will be a helpful resource for those who are grieving or trying to deal with their feelings. And I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything else that you'd like to bring up. Yeah, I just say, you know, if you're in that boat, if you're thinking about suicide or if you're in that boat where you're a survivor of someone, don't... Uh, don't hesitate to call the appropriate person, whoever, whomever that is for you. And if you, you know, if you get a brush off of the person, keep calling until you find somebody. There are some of us out there who actually give a flip and who will listen to you and give you some helpful advice as opposed to just say no, which is kind of what I consider the get over it uh, comment to be like when the Nancy Reagan, we'll just say no to drugs. Yeah. If that was that easy, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> Yeah. Get yourself some help and don't be uh, don't be suffering for nothing. You know. Yeah. It, it it reminds me of one more thing I encourage people to do. You know, when we've been talking about grieving, you know, people don't want to be a bother because our society shames it. So if you're willing to get that phone call at three in the morning, you know, or somebody needs you to come get them and have coffee so that they don't do a bad thing. You need to make it very painfully public and crystal clear. It is okay to call me. I will not be snotty. I will not tell you to fuck off. I will not hang up. You need to tell people that, you know, on your social media or other places where you can speak about these things. Say it. Say it frequently and say it loudly because people need to be told two or three times before they believe you. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of times in society we say, oh, I'll be there for you, but we don't show up. And so they expect it to be like that. So if you're going to actually be good for it, you got to hit them on the head so that they're clear. Yeah. It's okay. <clears throat> That's part of the reason I work seven days a week, and I'm the only guy in town that I know of that makes house calls because yeah. I work with a fairly volatile population. And, you know, if you do that, 
in my humble opinion, you have a moral imperative, as Kant would say, to do what you got to do to make things, you know, as best as you can for folks. And if you're not willing to do that, either get out of the business or don't see the kind of folks that I see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you, you know, know, if you guys have nothing else in your area, you are welcome to message the Facebook page and we will get a resource for you. You know, my, my phone will ping me pretty much at any point. Uh, Dr. Mathis doesn't pay attention to social media, but I do. I do that for him. <laughs> Yeah, she's my social media buffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're my antibody. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, we are serious. You know, it would be good if you have resources in your area because they're near you. But if there's nobody else, we will take that first call and we will help you look. Because, you know, you may be too upset to look. You know, maybe Google is too overwhelming right now. I just cannot do the thing. That's fine. You know, get in touch with us and we will try to find the resources that you need because somebody's yep, got yep. to. Yep. Yep. So, all right. So we, we did get close to the top of the hour by talking, you know, it, and it's okay if we're a little early, like Dr. Mathis said, sometimes we yap and then all of a sudden it's twelve fifteen. So, all yep. Right. That's that happened once or two, twice. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes it's turned into a double header uh, episode because we had so much left to say. Um, but for tonight, this concludes our show, uh, Everybody Hurts, Suicide Survivors. And I've checked in with you, Dr. Mathis. I, I've covered everything you wanted to get to tonight, yes? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank sure you. Okay. So on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis, and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who may be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. So we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion on Wednesday, June 8th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'd also like to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. First off, uh, tomorrow we have Travel It's Radio, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, sandwiched between St. Lucie County to the north and Palm Beach County to the south. Martin County is one of the hidden treasures of Florida's Atlantic coast. Part of Hobie Sound are on a uh, parts of Hobie Sound, pardon, are on the National Register of Historic Places and history lives on Hutchison Island, where some structures are a century old. There's a shipwreck site, an archaeological dig, an Audubon Museum, and many points, inlets and beaches attractive to visitors who prefer peace and quiet to the hustle and bustle of South Florida. Learn more on Thursday, May twenty sixth, when Martin County spokesman Ian Centroni visits Travelitch Radio for an interview with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. Next, Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza at 9 a.m. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning. They are hosted on StreamYard. Please check the NDB Media page on Facebook for link and times. Uh, Sunday, the 29th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Please join me for the Fear of the Walking Dead online viewing party, Season 7, Episode 15, Amina. The official AMC synopsis is, as the survivors prepare to escape the area by raft, Alicia turns back to save one more person trapped in the fallout. And then, Before I See You Again, Season 7, Episode 16, Finale, Gone, is June 5th. The synopsis for that is, Morgan finds a new ally, who turns out to be more trouble than he bargained for. 
Next up is Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Roger D. Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history. Currently also hosted on StreamYard. And Tuesdays at 10 p.m. is Phantom Access Week in Review. Join the entertainment explosion of Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they digest another night of TV. Um, Last week's agenda included Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Fear the Walking Dead, Moon Knight, The Wilds, and Star Trek Picard, as well as Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Please look for us on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and rock on. Good night. Thank you.